Alright guys, let's tear the roof off this thing. Well, Mother Nature tried to stop us, but we are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of Collecting Rarities. I am Rainer. I'm Sean. Seth. Sean, uh, welcome to Collecting on Rarities. <laughs> You're below me right now, man. Uh, he's got you there. Man. He's got you there. That's technically a that's technically a streamyard issue, though. But yeah, he's got you there. <laughs> okay, I'll give it to you this time. Don't let it happen again. All right, deal. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we gotta do what we gotta do. Always, every show, and I'm glow so glad to do it. Let's thank our sponsor, Watto Scrapyard, for his amazing, amazing work, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing but nice things to say about the man. I have had a, I've had multiple transactions with him. Always a pleasant experience. Uh, Seth, I know you've had you've you've said a couple of times of stuff you've had done with him. But Sean, have you ever had anything done for him? No, I haven't. But uh, I might need to get like a self-portrait or something like that for some of my uh, hot toys. Something. Oh, that'll be interesting, man. Put yourself on a Stormtrooper helmet or something like that. I mean, a Stormtrooper body. Iron Man, Thanos, something like that, man. Yeah, I mean, mainly Marvel a, stuff. Thanos would be a big head sculpt, though. So that I mean, would be, be awesome. Yeah. yeah, that would be awesome. That'd be a work. That'd be a work. All right. Well, before we continue here to the minifigure of the month, I have to give this little disclaimer here. The following program is rated TVMAL. It contains strong language and is intended only for mature audiences. Viewer discretion advised. Okay, so what that basically is, is we are covering a sensitive subject today for some people, and that is adult magazines. That's going to be towards the latter half of the show. Um, Sean, you, I think you said that you will not be present for that. Um, so, Right, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and when uh, when you hear that second uh, second second uh, disclaimer, sorry, I'm gonna add into the stream here. Um, second disclaimer, we're going to uh, say goodbye to Sean, but he will be joining us for the big portion, which is our home brewing. That's right. So let's move right into the minifigure of the month here. Um, so this is Darth Malgus. So Darth Malgus, everybody who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of the uh, older public here. And uh, hold on one second, let's give a shout out to our uh, comments before we get into there. What's up, Danny Lee? What's going on, Mark Pearson? Um, so, anyways, it's Darth Malgus. So I'm a huge fan of the older public era of Star Wars. And oh my gosh, it is a rich history era. Anybody who doesn't not familiar with it, please check it out. Revan, Darth Malgus, Satil Sean, Bastila Sean, Malik, Zane Carrick, all excellent characters. Um, Sean, have you been actually seen any Knights comics run through your uh, shop recently, haven't you? Yeah, we've seen uh, quite a bit, actually. You know, a lot of people, while they're still holding on to them, a lot of people are trying to cash in at the at the height of all this stuff just due to the specul uh, speculation of all these characters. A lot of the Dark Horse stuff is is booming right now because, you know, they're um, they're starting to pull stories and ideas and characters out of the old Dark Horse stuff, and man, it's working really good. So I'll let you feel that one, Sean. <laughs> let you feel that. I comment. need to. Um, 
I need to uh, save my career as a teacher. <laughs> That's why. That's a pretty good reason. That's a pretty good reason for not wanting to be associated but with that content. I can I can talk beer. There you go. Everybody loves beer. So, a little history about the character of Darth Malgus. Darth Malgus was a Sith Lord during the uh, Great Galactic Empire. Uh, he uh, was a member of the true Sith Empire. So, most people think that you know Palpatine was a Sith. He is actually a follower of an ideal, a follower of the Rule of Two. But these guys were the true Sith, the true descendants of the ancient Sith species. And um, Darth Malgus was... Um, present during the sacking of Coruscant. He actually attacked the Jedi Temple there, and sacking of Coruscant's basically when the Sith came in and just came in and kicked ass and took names and held the Republic's core capital world hostage so they could sign a treaty. But he is uh, a very prevalent character in the game Star Wars The Old Republic. So this minifigure comes in in the set the Sith Fury Interceptor at... Um, this believe the retail cost for, for the set back in the day was just shy of a hundred dollars but now of course with the aftermarket it's through the flipping roof i mean lego goes up in value everybody knows this uh so this minifigure that is basically almost the cost of the set alone right now he's closed for ebay prices of upwards to over 60 just for this minifigure for this little bitty thing can you believe that guys yeah, that's insane, man. It's always insane when you're talking Lego, right? It always it always astounds me some of the stuff that happens with Lego. You just you just never never know what's gonna take and what's not. Speaking of Lego, we have some interesting news with Lego Con was this past weekend. Uh, this was actually not originally going to be a segment, but I decided to go ahead and add it in. So it was they revealed the last three of the Mandalorian sets at LegoCon. We have Lego Star Wars, the Imperial Light Cruiser, which is basically, for those of you who don't know, Moff Gideon's ship where the final episode of the Mandalorian took place. Well, that oh-so-sexy scene with Luke came about. Any spoiler alert. <laughs> so, uh, Lego Star Wars Boba Fett Starship was also revealed. For those of you who don't know, this is the Slave One. Why they chose to rename it is beyond me. I'm, I'm going to have to go on a little bit of a rant here, guys. I do not like this. I mean, I understand these days, you know, Lego is a product for kids. You have to be careful with everybody being sensitive to these days. But, I don't know. I mean, what do you all think about this? Um, I think... I think um, it just has a lot to do with a, a lot of the hype. You know, Legos has been around forever, and 99% of us grew up with Legos. So uh, I think, especially in the in the collecting world, that, um, you know, it's, it's about getting back to that nostalgia as well. You know, for me, that was, it was sometimes Lego, but it was more so like Power Rangers. It was uh, Star Wars, you know. As I got older, it was like the, the card games like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon and things like that. So, I mean, it all kind of circles back around. So, if someone's willing to pay the money for it, then which I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, I just don't like this whole... What's wrong with the name Slave One? Like, that that's my thing. Like, I, I, I get, like, something like you don't want 
anything too risque for kids, but Slave 1, I mean, it's been Slave 1 for how many years now? How long Star Wars been around? 50 years? Yeah. So, anyways, this is, this is my take on it. Then lastly, we got the Flago uh, Star Wars Imperial Marauder for $40. I... I, I'm, a, I'm sorry I couldn't provide pics for this one, but people have gotten trouble with using watermarked images for stuff that is not released yet, and I just didn't want to take the risk. So I apologize. I do not have video, pictures of those sets, but if you want, you can go to lego.com and take a look for them. I am personally very excited for the Light Cruiser and the Imperial Marauder. For those of you who don't know, the Imperial Marauder is the uh, tank that they drove in that one scene where... Uh, the Mandalorian teams up with Grief Karga and Cara Dune again. And up in Season 2. Mm. So, uh, Mark Pearson says that LegerCon was super disappointing. I thought they were going to get the UCS Republic gunship. I was disappointed with that too. I really thought we were going to get to see that. And I was super, super disappointed that we didn't see it. Alright, now it's time for Seth to take over. So, Seth, take it away. Uh, we're having some kind of audio issue with you, Seth. Okay, uh, did you check the button? The button on the mic. No? I apologize, we are having some live, uh, some live technical issues here. Um, so in the meantime, we'll, uh, while Seth gets his, uh, stuff sorted, we're gonna... Go ahead and uh, talk about something else. So, Sean, uh, you had mentioned you had some stuff incoming. Uh, you had scored a deal today. Yeah, so uh, we had a guy bring in a collection, and uh, it had Punch It from uh, Small Soldiers, which is probably my favorite childhood uh, movie. And... Uh, I'm hopefully going to be picking him up sometime tomorrow. The only issue was that uh, the guy who sold it had a bunch of uh, nicotine on it, like a lot of his oh. stuff does. So they're have to, they're having to clean it up and clean up a whole bunch of stuff. But um, okay, it's it's actually awesome. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead and finish your segment, Sheen. So oh. I'm Sean. <laughs> man i have not heard that since like elementary (laughs) go ahead Um, dude but anyway uh he uh we're we're gonna clean him up tomorrow and hopefully we'll be able to save him and bring him home all right well that's good yeah that's that's i'm super jelly honestly punch it was always one of my favorites all right, Seth, Sneaker of the Show, take it away. Okay, Sneakers of the Show. I'm really excited about this one. This wasn't a super popular sneaker, but I feel like it's like the star of my whole collection. Go ahead and flip over. It's a Jordan 3 Tinker Air Max 1. So the reason that like, this is my all-time favorite shoe is it has a long history of um, like actually Jordan's relationship with Nike. And the reason it's called Tinker is Tinker Hatfield designed the shoe. Now, odd name for like a really cool guy, but Tinker Hatfield started at Nike as a um, architect designing their new building. And so um, I can't remember the exact year it was, but uh, at one point Nike's relationship with Jordan was on the rocks. Jordan was super unhappy. Um, the 
Jordan 2 had just come out. Uh, it wasn't super popular. He's like, hey, look, I'm the number one basketball player in the world right now. People aren't, like, lining up to get my shoes. What's going on? I'm going to leave Nike. And so he didn't even want to take the meeting with Nike. Nike knew this, and they were freaking out. They're like, what do we do? So they yeah. start, like, putting out feelers. Anybody that can draw, anybody that has an art background, draw what you can, design a shoe. We have to save the Jordan relationship. Yep, ah, that was back when MJ was super popular, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, he, Tinker Hatfield ends up designing, you know, kind of the basis of what you see here. And, you know, draws it all out. Works with Michael himself. Michael picks out the leathers. Um, he ended up picking uh, an elephant print. It was the first, like, elephant print like leather shoe that was ever put out on the market and then uh tinker actually did a photo shoot with jordan where he drew up the jordan logo that's on every shoe today and the jordan 3 was the first jordan shoe with the jordan logo it was the sneaker that saved their relationship uh obviously jordan and tinker went on to make like 10 years worth of shoes oh, so geez. their relationship worked out really really well makes uh, sense but this shoe came out as like, because uh, he also designed the Air Max One, and so this shoe came out as like a homage to him. Like, hey, look, here's this Jordan Three, but it's also in the Air Max One colors. It actually has four uh, Velcro swooshes that you can pull out and swap. So let me ask you the the stand just the standard shoe of this. What is this going for these days? Uh, it's not super high it's like you know in the 120 dollar range i just like it because of what it is it's not like a rare shoe to find you can still buy it um you can find it relatively easy on aftermarket websites for almost retail price but i just like it because it's a cool shoe you know i mean it has yeah. it's just such it has so much history behind it and with the velcro swooshes that you can swap out it's a really really cool shoe Oh. Awesome. So I believe we had some other news in the uh, sneaker world. Mm -hmm. So Nike actually lost a Kobe license. This, I went back and forth on this one because there was a few places that initially reported it. And then they said that, uh, you know, that was fake. And But this came from um, Vanessa Bryant herself that the Nike license for Kobe shoes was over. And they're citing um, the fact that the shoes weren't available enough and that it was distasteful what Nike was pushing in his name after his death. So this was a huge, huge license for Nike. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see, does she go on in her husband's name now that he's deceased and sign with another company or does she just leave it as it is? And she has initially said that she's interested in signing with another company to further her husband's memory. Now, I would imagine if she decides not to sign and just leaves it as it is, what would happen to the existing shoes? Would they just shoot up or how They the all have, yeah, they have all shot up in value, like, right now. 
just right after the announcement. And that was, it's been about a month ago since they announced it. But yeah, all the Kobe shoes are just skyrocketing in price because people are afraid they're never going to get another one. And yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. But it'll be a roller coaster ride if you have Kobe's in your closet to yeah. resell them and see, you know, where they're going to go in value and if they drop, if she signs with somebody else. And just, it's an interesting time to be in the sneaker market right now. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's always an interesting time to be in that market. <laughs> so we have a comment from Collecting Weekly, Sandal of the Month. Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, the Jesus sandals have been retired for the afternoon or evening, as it were, and uh, they will not make an appearance until next week. So, sorry about that. That's just sad. Uh, Seth, this one's directed towards you. Uh, I'm. N I was never a huge Kobe fan, um, so it. I don't really have. Um an idea of where they could go. I think Adidas is doing some interesting things, and Kobe's, you know, license might be interesting at Adidas. Um, yeah. But there's also, like, new players in the game, like New Balance coming in with um, Kawhi Leonard's uh, license also, so who knows? Who knows where to go? I don't really have an idea. We got another one for you, Seth. Yeah, yeah, I feel like she is just kind of, you know, it's it's an odd situation. Um, I don't know what to make of it, because the fact that it's his wife now making the decisions, and who knows where his mind would have been um, since the contract was coming up for renewal just before his death anyway, who knows where that would have been? I mean, we can't ask the guy. He's now deceased, and his wife's trying to make decisions based on what she feels was is the best for his memory. Mm -hmm. Sure. So is it she's trying to make more money? Is it she's trying to, you know, protect her husband's image? Um, it's an interesting situation, and I think it'll have an interesting outcome for sure. I just I have no idea where it'll go. Yeah, um, you know, you were talking about different companies and stuff that could acquire the license and stuff. You know, even even um, ones like Puma have uh, have uh, been making strides in in NBA and other basketball leagues and things like that. So, I mean, I I, I don't want to see it go to like one of these like bigger names such as like uh, you had mentioned Adidas, but they're a little bit smaller, I guess, but uh, who am I thinking of? Um, Under Armour, you know the guys who, you know the the, the go to guys. Yeah, you know, even if like re if they went to like Reebok or something, that would be cool to see like a retro, a retro Kobe done by like Reebok or something like that. Mm -hmm. That would be really cool. I agree with that. And it's just like I think that's why we're seeing so many new shoe brands pop up with like basketball shoes is because Nike mm -hmm. has ruled the basketball game for so long, and they have yeah. so many like designer name shoes that people are like, I don't want to try to compete with that so why don't i sign with some smaller company and i can be the first or i can be the second or even the third and it'll still be up on the shelves with the nikes and with the adidas you know stars but in a new shoe in a new format with a newer company right 
Alright, well, uh, we also have, uh, this being a back-to-back episode, we have another segment of yours, Seth, so take it away again. So, whiskey news. Um, this is blackened American whiskey, and if you don't know the history of blackened American whiskey, it's actually Metallica's brand of whiskey, and they have been winning awards for, I mean, all throughout the whiskey world for their unique uh, aging process. And the way they age their whiskey is it's, you know, barreled just like every other whiskey, but then they expose it to what they call black noise. And really the process involves they have some, and they don't go into full specifics, but they have some storage house where they store the barrels set up with um, big speakers and monitors from their concerts, and they literally blast their music into this room while the whiskey is aging to get different sound waves through the barrels to make it age differently. Huh. Man, can you imagine being a brewmaster and a metalhead on that, though? That's <laughs> got to be, like, the best job ever. Mm-hmm. And so, for the first, um, you know, the first release of their 100th batch of this, you know, whiskey, they're doing a special collector set... Which comes with uh, two 12-inch vinyls, some pictures, some different memorabilia, and it's going for, I think, $219 for the set. And they're saying, you know, this is the ultimate for you whiskey lovers, for you metalheads. It's just kind of a cool set. I don't know if it's worth 200 bucks, but I will say I have some blackened whiskey, and it is a really damn good whiskey. So Nice. I think it's a cool set. If you like whiskey, if you like Metallica, it's worth picking up. It's probably not going to be released like this again. Um, but it actually, each one of these um, vinyl records has the songs on it that they actually played for this batch. So you can kind of sip your whiskey and listen to the songs that were played that was aging your whiskey, Dude, which is pretty is cool. awesome. So- so is it the clo- the closer to the sound, the harsher the whiskey would be, and the further away, the less harsh it would be, or is it kind of evened out? Or I think it's probably evened out. Like I said, they don't go into the exact specifics of how it's aged because mm-hmm. it's like their pro- proprietary aging process. Right. But I would say it's probably pretty even because they don't like bottle them separately, and there's no like label as to where it came from in the storage or anything like that. Just you can look up the batch number on your bottle and see what songs were played for it. Right. That's sweet. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I might be actually going to try to pick some of this up later. <laughs> I, I really recommend it. It's a good whiskey. I'll have to try it. I have to wait for a little bit, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's time for the mid-show plug. Actually, before that, though, we need to do something else. So, I often get asked, what's a good range saber for the mid-range saber, uh, for custom saber community, right? Uh-huh. So I wanted to go ahead and give a little demonstration of what you can expect from a good mid-range saber for about mm, three to $500. Let's go ahead and power this puppy on. So this is the Pock Store Saber. This is a Chinese company. They are uh, really, really good for good budget savers. Now, this is what's called the Neopixel Profi, 
So the Profi is the core that you use for the different sound fonts and adjusting settings and stuff like that. So NeoPixel, as you can see, is very bright. <laughs> like this is, is this is literally the brightest bright. saber I own. Sorry, go ahead, Seth. I said that's crazy bright. I mean, it's like yeah. you're completely red right now. So wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so this thing comes stock with a bunch of sound fonts. And a bunch of cool effects, like you can make the blade pulse. You can do blaster deflections. Of course, it's got RGB built in, so you get all the colors you want. This saber will run you about four or five hundred dollars, depending on when you bought it, if it was new, or if they were running some kind of sale. But uh, Pock Store is a good, a good brand. I really, really like them. I really do. Uh, they are just good solid savers for the price and you know the only thing that I warn you up front is their customer service after the purchase is not as good as some other people's um, but Seth I know you had gotten a uh, ultra saver did that ever come in by the way I never <laughs> thought to ask it actually did come in and I will say that it, they fully earned the Kmart brand savers <laughs> it was a little disappointing it was. Yeah. It was. I'll show it uh, next show. I'll be sure to whip it out and yeah, you know sure. show the saber, oh, the actual oh, saber. We're not to that segment yet, dude. <laughs> <laughs> save it, save it for later. But it was a little disappointing. <laughs> I will say that. Yeah, ultra sabers are really good for combat. So they're really good for taking it outside and just whacking your friends with them. But. Other than that, I feel like yeah. we're still steering right into the gutter with that one, but okay. <laughs> well, I was gonna say whacking, uh, whacking around, but you know, I, I felt like that was still in the gutter. <laughs> There's no easy way to do it. I mean, everything can be a double entendre these days. That's true. <laughs> we're the worst. <laughs> we are the worst. All right, all right, gentlemen. It's what the scrapyard any. We want to thank our friends over at Watto Scrapyard for sponsoring tonight's episode. You can find them on Instagram at Watto Scrapyard. They're also on Facebook and eBay as well. Yeah, man. They make 3D printed parts for hard-to-come-by Canon Hasbro vehicles, which is a huge help when you're looking for those lost pieces. Uh, they also make uh, printed head sculpts of literally anybody you could think of. Literally anyone. They've made a head sculpt of me. They've made head sculpts of uh, PewDiePie for you. They've made all kinds of Jedi all kinds of characters from the Star Wars universe. They are absolutely amazing. They can get any sculpt you want designed and printed for a reasonable fee today. Again, nothing but good things to say about the man. Awesome product. Um, the while we were showing that, though, we got a comment from Mark Pearson. <laughs> uh, in the gutter, usually. That's the way it goes. <laughs> Oh, man, it wouldn't be rarities if we weren't a little bit in the gutter. Just That's saying. That's true. All right. So now we come to the meat and potatoes of the show here, Brewmania. And I know, Seth, you had done a lot of research on this as well, so feel free to jump in whenever. But this is uh, basically the, the, the hobby of collecting beer memorabilia. And it can cover anything from old bottles, old cans, signs, artwork, just the list, the list goes on. For sure so, it does. I mean, it's it was amazing the amount of 
just stuff that you can collect when it comes to beer. And I mean, man, I just, I didn't realize, you know, because, like, we all have our hobbies, and I realize that people will pay for nostalgia, obviously. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be in the hobbies that we're in. But, wow, the, just the cost of some of these items is insane. And I get it, we love beer. We love drinking, you know. People love to feel good, so uh, I don't blame them. Yeah, and, you know, beer's been a commodity since, God, since almost the Stone Age. I mean, as soon as man figured out how to make beer, we were in a much better place, I would think. <laughs> That's true. I'm sure. <laughs> so, what do people collect? I mean, we already covered a good amount of the basis, but one of the things that I was, when I was doing research for this topic, I was really interested to find out is that in the uh, old, in a, uh, in a, uh, Ancient Asia, they actually would use leather bottles to hold their beer. Mm -hmm. like leather bottles. Can you believe that? Well, I mean, leather has such a history of being able to carry, I mean, water to begin with. So, as soon as, I'm sure as soon as man figured out where we could get a ready source of water, we were probably already making beer right after, so. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Lee says, Sean looks drunk already. Uh, you getting there, Sean? Uh, Sean, we're having technical difficulties. We can't hear you. <laughs> I said I'm all right. <laughs> all right, good. <laughs> Feeling good, but not too good. That's good. That's good. So, how widespread is this hobby? Again, it's just... It's unreal how much, especially like neon signs. I was surprised at how bad neon... How, how big neon signs were. Mm. in this community like it was unreal and you know, i could get in some place like seattle you know if anybody's ever been to seattle you know neon is a very big thing out there but you'd be surprised at just the amount of collectibles and stuff that are out there for this hobby i mean yeah. it's just insane. as far as how widespread it is i'd say it's probably for being Maybe not necessarily a rarity, but maybe a unique collection is very widespread and eclectic group. Yeah. That are in that kind, that type of hobby, you know, because you've I mean, you've got, you've got everybody Facebook likes groups dedicated to it. Yeah, everybody likes beer, so you're gonna find all all man, all matter of men and women, you know, individuals that just want um, to represent their beer of choice, and I think. Mm -hmm. If you drink beer, you probably have a beer of choice, so why would you not want to put up a sign or have a can or have a hat or have a, you know, tray or something? So I'd, I'd say it's a very, very widespread hobby, probably more widespread than most other um, collectible items, just because of, you know, everybody loves beer. Yeah. Yep. Everybody loves beer. So the cost investment for this is, again, all over the place. It depends really just how much you want to get into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, from anything from, you can go do anything from collecting bottles to entire artworks worth thousands of dollars. I have yeah. a, actually have a picture in a later slide of a uh, piece of artwork my dad has of uh, the famous painting of dogs playing poker, only they're all sitting around with Lone Star. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that the part that really threw me off or kind of threw me for the loop was the um, the can collecting, you know, and how vintage cans uh, have their own grading process so that you can charge, you know, whatever 
for this can like is, is there dents is there rust is the label intact and i'm just like you know it's a it's a beer can how are you going to find but there's like pristine beer cans from the 40s that people are collecting and spending two three hundred dollars on and that just blew me away i mean it really did and i don't blame them or you know I don't, it it is a little unusual i wouldn't do it but i mean can you imagine saying hey yeah like my dad probably drank that beer you know my grandfather probably drank that beer and here it is sitting on my shelf so uh, Mark Pearson says eclectic is a great way to say it's for weirdos like us. I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the nice and proper way. It makes us sound fancy. Yeah, we just got to raise our pinky now. <laughs> Hold on. Everybody raise your pinky with your glass. Let's do this. Come on, we got to do it live. There we go. Now we're there, eclectic. Well, there we go. Yes. <laughs> Y'all don't drink beer like that all the time? <laughs> uh, it's just only me? Only when I'm around you, Seth. Only when I'm around you. <laughs> I'm not what they call a classy broad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, Rainer, you had mentioned like the neon lights and stuff, you know, and, and Seth, you were saying about like having uh, memorabilia from your favorite breweries and stuff. For a lot of um, beer style collectors, even getting something custom done is really huge because it's not out of the ordinary, I think, now. If you are a part of the hobby of, you know, drinking beer, whatever, whether it's like Coors or Bud, uh, Budweiser, things like that, or even if it goes into the craft beer, that um, you kind of take that with you and, you know, you get something custom made and you go to people's houses, you know, they they might have their own little bar set up. You know, there, I've seen things where people go out and buy those storage sheds and they'll turn it into a bar at their house you know taps uh, taps are another huge collectible um in uh in beer collecting because you know they're they 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 display well really well if you have a decent stand for them Mm. yeah didn't you did didn't they just start a show like backyard bar something or another where they're doing exactly what you're saying and trying to compete you know what i don't know I've uh I've not I've not heard of that one yet. Yeah, I don't think uh, I, I don't think I've seen that one either. But I mean, I've I'm seen sure an advertisement for something. It's like backyard bar something. That's or the another. Uh, that's the next show uh, being introduced to Collecting Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a backyard bar. I'm down for that one. You know, yeah, and on what you that. said, Sean, about the uh, beer tops is there's actually a restaurant in Bernie called Z's Pizza, and they mm-hmm. they're really cool in that they. They tap lots of kegs, um, not like a lot as in like a huge number, like a lot at one time, but just a lot over the course of them being a restaurant. They've been around two or three years now, okay. and so they will rotate them out, and they're constantly featuring a new beer selection, and so when you walk in, it's a little tiny place. It's kind of in like a little house, but they just have all these beer taps displayed all over the walls and hanging up everywhere because they tap so many different styles and brands of beer that it's really cool to walk in and see all these handles sitting up and sticking out everywhere because just the sheer number and the fact that they're super decorative and you know each one of them has the beer logo and has like some unique thing about it so that's a really cool display piece you know speaking speaking of restaurants and things like that you know if if anybody ever gets the chance they need to go out to san marcus 
and there's a place called Taproom Pub and Grub. And they're mainly known for their uh, burgers and their fall off the bone ribs. But yeah, but um, they have over, I want to say 30 to 40 ish beers on tap at any given time. Uh, And right before, right before the craft, uh, like the Texas craft beer craze started hitting hard they would import lots of beers from germany as well and it could be it could be summertime and they would have an oktoberfest i mean in, in germany uh a, and uh, and in belgium and places like that an oktoberfest is known as a marzen well a marzen translated is march so what'll happen is they'll start they'll start uh brewing and fermenting in march so that by the time August, September, October hits, their batches are ready. And here in the states, and here in in Texas, it's slowly um, evolved into like a more of a September, August thing now. Mm-hmm. But um, it all had to do with a marriage of a prince and a, a princess, and they had this big. I think it's twenty one days or something like that festival, and that's what we know now as uh, Oktoberfest. But um, going back to Taproom, you know, they just have so much selection. You know, there's there's breweries all over now. I think I think breweries popping up, whether it's a nano brewery, a micro brewery, or a regular size brewery, it's very common now to see them pop up with a restaurant or something like that. And um, I think it's almost as as natural now as our our um, nostalgia toy collecting hobby that we're in now. You know, it, it seems like almost everybody's either in this hobby or some uh, fashion, like movies or other other types of like '90s nostalgia or yeah. you know the Hot Wheels things like that. Um, but if you ever get a chance, San Marcos, go to Taproom. It's a really great place. It's a really classic bar feel. You know the dark wooden floors, the the wooden um, bar set, and all that. It's brick on the inside. They got they got um, signs and things that that line the uh, the walls and stuff. Really good family runs it. Um, but yeah, that's that's the place I always recommend if you can get out of San Antonio and go up north a little bit. Yeah. Oh, dude, you're speaking my language so much right now. (laughs) And, and, you know, just to to continue off what you were saying about breweries popping up all over the place. So in Bernie, Bernie's a town of technically 7,000 people, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's more in the surrounding areas. But there's now five craft breweries in the town. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's just, they keep popping up every single day. So, it's, I mean, you can walk down Bernie and get a new beer from a different brewery, like, mm-hmm. within a block, you know? <laughs> well, and, you know, because of that, the um, the bar scene has changed exponentially. Mm. I mean, uh, I Seth, I don't know if you know, you know about Hills and Dells? Yes. Okay. So, way back in the day, Hills and Dells just used to be this typical bar you know that they would have some craft stuff you know some shiner uh mainly what coors bud light budweiser you know your typical uh breweries and stuff like that but 
as time has progressed, they're so close to UTSA, the college, that now it's more like a uh, almost like a hipster young vibe. When it used to be more of like a biker bar, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, people, I would argue, maybe our parents' age, maybe their early forties or fifties or something like that, they'd go there and hang out for a good time. You know, my parents did it, all of their friends did it, and now they've kind of moved away from there because it is a lot younger scene. You know, it's a little bit more uh, poppy, I guess. Yeah. You know. But I know um, the over here by Fort Sam, we had a similar situation. There was a uh, a bar right outside the base. I forget the name of it. It was like um, Sally's or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like it used to be like back when my dad visited Fort Sam in the uh, 80s and 90s, it was like a rough, like rough bar. Like you get your ass kicked in there. Mm-hmm. And now it's much more craft. It's much more hipster and everything else it just seems like the direction everything's going now well and it's also it's also given people a chance to um explore a lot of different things like i i go to a place here in san antonio called big cops and their original one of their original locations was off of hebner it's still there but they built one a little bit closer to us where we live near like uh well we're not near alamo ranch but off of shanefield um which was significantly closer for us. And that's what they do. You know, they have 20 beers on tap, you know, and they have some good bottle beers and things like that. And, you know, you just kind of sit there and hang out, you know, it's kind of like what the new scene is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it go where the money is, go where the people mm-hmm. are, do what they want. Yeah. Do what you have to well, do when you get into just, business. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just a whole, you know, I think it's a fun way to experiment now. It's like our parents grew up with, what, 10, 12 different types of beer from a handful of companies, and now companies mm-hmm. are like, hey, let's experiment. Let's see what crazy things we can do. And one of my good friend's um, sons actually makes beer with his mom's new, I think, boyfriend or husband. I'm not sure. But they make beer, and he's like, yeah, so, like, we'll we'll make a beer, we'll throw it in kegs, we'll bottle it, and then after mm-hmm. a while, he's like, let's try something new. And they'll just throw, like, random crap in there and start just mixing up yep. something that they've never done before, and, like, he's like, you know, 70% of the time, it's really good, and 30% of the time, it's just okay, and he's like, we're good with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> trial and error, trial and error. So as we covered a little bit earlier, we've got containers, old leather bottles, cans, glass bottles, and we've already covered a little bit of the history behind there, so we're going to go ahead and move past this slide. So signs, neon, metal, and advertising. As we said, you can get something custom made too. Uh, I imagine custom beer taps are probably all the rage these days with everything going the custom route. I mean, what do y'all think? I'm sure they are. Even, like, custom neon signs, custom metal signs. Neon is tricky, though. Um, I actually have a little bit of a background in making signs. I worked for my uncle who did it um, in high school. And so we actually farmed out all our neon work because to make neon signs, it's actually um, extremely hazardous to your health because of the gases that go into making neon signs. Makes sense. And I I know for a fact that it's a dying art here in America. 
Uh, it's still alive and well in other places, but here in America, it's definitely dying out, and most is going to LED. So if you wanted that old, like, beer sign, neon sign kind of feel, I'm sure you're paying a lot of money to get a custom neon sign made. Well, and I would imagine, like, LED's nice. It doesn't have the look of neon, though. Yeah, it doesn't have that, like, nostalgic, like, those rich colors, that kind of buzzing sound that neon makes. That just, like, you walk in and you're like, yeah, this is the beer place. That's the beer sign. Like, just something about that feel. It's just special and... You know, makes you feel at home. And then, I mean, let's be honest. How many country songs are written about neon beer signs? It's not like, oh, LED signs. I got that LED glow on my face. I've got the LED tan from the bar. (laughs) It's just not the same. Yeah, it's just not the same. Sometimes the old ways are better. So we have a few examples of some uh, beer signage here. This is actually given to me by my pictures provided me by my dad this is some of his collection so he's got like that lone star sign um the corona extra i believe that corona is custom well that's awesome i really like he's got he's covering into some other stuff he's got a beer apron for budweiser he's also got the budweiser (laughs) horns and i was there when he bought those at a yard sale and i was i was a kid and i was like dad can i wear the devil horns to school and he's like no and I'm like, why not? Well, it's Halloween. Well, because it's got a beer logo on it, son. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I you not going to walk out with that out of a yard sale. If I see that in a yard sale, I'm picking it up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, like, the, it's like the rubber chicken, you know? You just got to get it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, Manny says, neon moon. That is very true. It would not be the same if it was LED moon. So here's the picture I mentioned earlier of the dogs uh, all sitting around drinking beer, playing poker, and drinking different um, different companies' beers. And I'm having a hard time seeing. I know we see Lone Star in there, but can you make out anything else? Uh, there's a Shiner in there. Uh, there's two Shiners in there, actually. Uh, I can't make pretty. anything else, though. Yeah. Pretty cool. I believe this was custom made as well. I am not a hundred percent sure, but either way, I mean, it looks looks freaking awesome. And you I mean, know. who doesn't want a bunch of dogs sitting around drinking beer and playing cards? That's awesome. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that'll class <laughs> up any man cave. Just saying. Uh huh. I mean, somebody's gonna walk in and go, you know, the man cave's not come. Oh, it is complete. There's the dog drinking beer picture. <laughs> yep. Yep. We can we can leave now. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so here's some examples of some uh, Shiner bottles here that Seth was able to provide. Unfortunately, we had some issues providing the actual pictures he wanted. So Yeah, that was actually going to do this compared to um, some older Shiner bottles and cans, but for some reason the older pictures would just not load for me. But anyway, Shiner has a long history, and so therefore they have a lot of collectible items. Oh, I've seen I've seen some of the stuff that's out there. It's pretty insane. Mm-hmm. And it's just you know one of those good Texas brands. So of course, us Texans being like diehard Texans fan Texan fans, you know we got to collect everything that has anything to do with Texas. 
Of course. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so this is the next segment of our show where we're going to cover the different histories of some of these fabulous breweries that we've been talking about. So, each uh, host has picked out a... uh, a brewery and we're going to or a brand let's say and we're going to cover the history of that brand and a little bit about uh what's made it famous and uh, since this was sean's segment we're going to let him go first so sean why don't you go ahead and kick it off yeah so um i'm doing free tales brewery which is a local brewery here in san antonio uh they've been open since 2008 with their with a single location uh, in i guess it's a northwest san antonio area okay. um more so recently over the last maybe two or three years they opened up a strictly just a brew pub uh downtown san antonio where you can uh, go on tours get tastings things like that but i really appreciate this brewery a lot because um it's a fun atmosphere it's a uh, pizza place they make amazing pizza they They, really uh, do yeah it's really good um the uh they have like different programs for uh people who want to uh leave their mug there and they um fill it up i've never been able to take advantage of that because they've always been full but um they they come up with some really good beers one of my favorite styles of beer is a a red a red beer uh into like an amber ale and um they're what they used to call their original is now uh they, I don't think they really make it that much anymore, but it was an amber ale. But this is the new one that I have. This right here is called the Vader Saber. And it is, and I would argue it's more of an imperial red. Kind of hints the name Vader Saber, right? It's yeah. It's got this darker red uh, look to it. So it's going to be a lot hoppier uh, than uh, most beers. And you're going to get that from the aroma. That's just the smell of it. But you're also getting it out of the like the uh, the flavoring, the bitterness hops, where it's going to make those, uh, uh, give that little bit of bite when it hits the palate and stuff. But um, we, uh, my family, we go there at least twice a month. You know, it's very family friendly and a lot like a lot of these new beer places, they are very family friendly, you know. So uh, an example would be, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called the Fahrenheit store in New Braunfels, but it's it's definitely a bar. They have a little restaurant attached to it, but they have this huge outdoor area and it has playgrounds and a little turf field for the kids to play on and stuff like that while the parents get to hang out and drink some beer and stuff or they, this particular one has a has a full bar but um i think free tells is a lot like that too uh they don't have like the uh the like a, a play area but you know they got lots of tvs on showing sports and the kids can eat great pizza and things like that while the parents kind of sit there and chill we like to go a little bit uh like a little bit earlier on lunchtime just to beat the crowd that's just our personal preference and then we just kind of hang out at home but um they do things that have like uh they're really hoppy they do stuff with uh barrel aged uh more wine barley beers things like that and uh it has a little bit of everything for for anybody it for sure does yeah it's such a good place i really like that place too and the last thing i actually wanted to mention because i just remembered so their logo is the bat is a is a free tail i believe it's a free tail bat um and they do a lot of conservation for 
for bats because one of the things in San Antonio is we have a lot of bats here, especially during a certain time of the year when we get a little bit closer towards the fall time. And you even kind of see it with like some of these uh, cans here, how it's a little bit, uh, it's, it looks a little bit darker, you know, like like sunsetting type thing. Uh, uh, that's when a, a big group of bats actually leave their 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 caves and they kind of just go about and stuff and that's kind of a big thing here in san antonio to sometimes is just go watch the bats fly out of the cave yeah <laughs> yeah that does sound awesome i've been wanting to do that for forever if watch i can actually bats. tackle that one and then i'll tackle manny's comment you know manny's comment first oh yeah uh, definitely he said when i asked my best friend to be my best man i gave him a six pack of shiner with a redesigned shiner logo it turned out great Manny, that is awesome. I love that. That mm-hmm. is fantastic. That is awesome. And then on the uh, Freetail Bat, so this area in the Hill Country is actually home to the largest population of Freetail Bats, uh, Mexican Freetail Bats in America. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's so large that you can actually see them on radar when they fly out at That's sunset. That's right. That's, That's right. crazy. It almost comes up like a thunderstorm or like yeah. like rain or something like that, but it's actually the bats leaving their cave. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a population of uh, three or four million bats. That's insane. Ooh. Uh, I'll have to make a trip up there. I, I would love that. Uh, but yeah, um, Sean, dude, we got to meet at this place, this Free Tales place. I, have not, I hadn't heard anything about it until you just mentioned it. So yeah, we got to meet there for a pizza. It's, well, a, obviously, it's a lot of fun. I'm a bad friend because I've been here lots of times. <laughs> uh, that's it, you fired. Well, <laughs> show's over, he's fired. <laughs> we should all just go there and, and we should do a show there. We should. It's a really Dude. great place. And honestly, yeah, could... their chicken bacon ranch pizza is by far my favorite pizza. We always tend to go to a build your own. We like um we like red onions. She likes the Roma tomatoes or whatever tomatoes that they typically have at the time. And then I like jalapenos on my side, pepperoni pizza. You know, get we get my uh, my son uh, just a personal pepperoni, and the baby doesn't eat the pizza yet. So, yeah. Hey, let's do an after party for this show later this week. I'm down. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's go. All right, Seth, your turn. You are up. What brewery did you choose? Okay, my brewery is the, and I'm probably saying this wrong, Spetzel Brewery that makes Shiner Buck Beer in Shiner, Texas. So I actually didn't know the full history of Shiner Beer, but they were actually um, making Shiner Beer before the brewery even got its start. So the brewery got its start in 1909 by Cosmos Spetzel who learned making beer in Egypt and then moved to Canada before he was contacted to become their first brewmaster in Shiner because the high German population in the area could not find a good Bach beer. Now, Bach beer, if you don't know, has an even longer history, which is really, really fascinating. Uh, the first mention of Bach beer was um, in 1349, I believe, in Einbecker, what they would say, Einbach, Germany. And it, it was typically like a lint beer, 
So they would brew this very heavy, very um, like nutrient dense beer to drink when you're, you know, in the middle of Lent. And the Bavarian monks in that area would drink this beer instead of eating anything else because, hey, they're getting nutrients, they're getting what they need without eating, so they're still, you know, practicing Lent, they're not eating anything, they're fasting in a sense, but they're drinking this beer. And so it had a very rich history in Germany, so when German immigrants moved here and they couldn't find the style of beer they needed, they say, hey, why don't we just make it ourselves? And they've been making this style of beer since 1909 in Shiner, Texas. Let me interject here for a moment. I heard some kind of tale, and you can tell me if this is true or not if you know, that one of those beers that the uh, monks would produce, its recipe hasn't changed in 800 years. I did not read that, but I don't doubt it. I mean, when you got the recipe right the first time, why would you change it? Of course. Of course. So, Einbach actually means the goat. So anytime you see a Bach beer, that's why it has a goat or a ram on the logo. And obviously, Shiner has featured that in a lot of their promotional items and on their labels from time to time. They now make, um, what is it, 15 or 16 different styles of beer along with their regular Shiner Bach. And they are the largest, or one of the largest, and in, still independently owned breweries in the United States. Nice. You know, Seth, that's, that, that's really important that you said that because about five or six years ago, that's kind of when the, the craft beer uh, uh, craze really hit San Antonio, I feel like, somewhere around there. Yeah. And um, a lot of these bigger companies, Budweiser, Coors, you know, some of the more, uh, the larger ones up north, things like that, they were losing a lot of revenue to these these craft breweries or these nano breweries that were putting out superior beers that that people started going to because they had more variety you know and uh what ended up happening is these places like budweiser as an example uh uh they they started buying up these smaller breweries so that they can collaborate with them to make some of these beers and that's why you've seen some of these guys change up their tastes like you know somewhere something like a um uh, uh, like a, a Bud Light going towards a little bit darker with like their platinum, you yeah. know, and things like that, and uh, it, it hit them really hard. Yeah. So there's there's a few. Not, I wouldn't say a few. There's quite a few bre- uh, breweries out there who are now owned by these bigger retail breweries. Mm-hmm. And yes, Manny Shiner is the goat. It is. It really is. I mean. Actually speaking, it is the goat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Quite literally. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at this here. Yeah, that's just a little bit about the um, the history of Bach beer and the fact that it, you know, it goes back as far as the 1400s. It even said, um, I read, you know, in the 1300s that it was mentioned even back then and they believed it might even go back earlier than that just because of the nature of the Bach beer and the fact that it was uh, drank by you know monks 
but uh, you know the interesting thing was um, apparently Munich was like the beer capital of Germany, and so they actually shifted production of any kind of um, Einbach beer or Bach beers out of the different areas because Munich still wanted to be the beer capital of Germany, and so they started forcing them to make their beer in Munich, Germany. Alrighty then, so now I'm up. Pearl Brewery established in 1883. The Pearl was once a city brewery until it was purchased in 1883. So this was purchased by, hold on, let me pull up my notes here, because there was a lot of here, and I wanted to make sure I got oh, yeah, all of it. Oh yeah, the Pearl has such a long and unique history. Exactly. I want to make sure I get this right, since this is a San Antonio legend. It says the site was owned and operated by the Pearl Brewing Company. It was originally known by both J.B. Uh, I God, I cannot pronounce this Bella Hostesky, uh Brewery and the City Brewery. The City Brewery was purchased as an in- by an investment group in 1883, uh, convoys of local businessmen involved with the Lone Star Brewing Company. Together they form they formed the San Antonio Brewing Company, which changed its name later. We'll go get to that later because of a little bit of confusion. So one thing that makes the Pearl batch interesting is when the brewmaster was brewing it, they said it looked like you poured when you poured it, it looked like a glass of pearls. And so that's how it got its name here. So, the brew house building was established uh, in 1894. The new brew house was constructed, and the building became a symbolic feature of San Antonio industry. This building was designed by Chicago Arch- architect August Martson. In the Second Empire style, Martson specialized in breweries, designing more than 80 in the U.S., Canada, and South Africa. Now, this is where it gets interesting. So in 1902, Crueller takes the helm. Um, Otto Crueller took the helm of the brewery. Uh, Leaving his position as manager of the Lone Star Brewing Company, became the president and manager of the San Antonio Brewing Association. Under Otto's leadership, the brewery set in motion a strategic plan to grow in physical size as well as beer output, and soon they became the largest brewery in Texas. Um, So by 1916, they were producing... Over 110,000 U.S. barrels a year. Like, let that sink in for a moment. That is that is a lot. It's a lot of beer. So, uh, let me go ahead and get rid of this here. So, yeah, that is a ton of beer. Now, obviously, right around that time, that's when Prohibition set in. So, what do you got to do? You got to adapt or die. So, they uh, became a, they, became, they, they became a uh, soda bottling facility for a while. Uh, performing also performing little things like dry cleaning, operating a small advertising sign division, running auto repair shop even. So they they really dipped into a lot of stuff. And then at the end of Prohibition, they uh, the end of Prohibition. I'm sorry, I'm I'm re- I'm reading this stuff here. I'm trying my best. So at the end of Prohibition, so too came the end of the Pro- Alamo Foods Company. The Alamo Foods Company went back to their prior name, San Antonio Brewing Association. In 1933, the nation was deep in the grips of the Great Depression, and Emma Kohler kept the brewery afloat by selling beer to those who could afford it and continuing many of the business ventures. Again, if it's making you money, why not, right? That's true. So, the Pearl Brewing Company eventually changed their name in 1952 because people were confused that it they thought it was the whole brewing association 
of San Antonio, which I I can kind of see that, you know? Yeah. Then uh, Full Full Goods Building opens in 1970. The Full Goods opens building logistics hub, sending Full Goods bottles of beer out on trucks and trains. And then in 1985, they actually took over the Paps Brewing Company. So a night. So that's interesting because uh, whoever hasn't heard of Paps Brew Ribbon, just saying. <laughs> that's true. So let's see here. Um. So they in 1985. Uh, so the Pearl. Oh, let me back up. In 1977, the Pearl was brew, sold to the General Brewing Company of San Francisco, owned by Paul Kalanovitz. I cannot pronounce these names. I apologize. 1985, he acquired the Paps Brewery. Paps closed operations in 2001, and then in so two silver 2001 Silver Ventures, a San Antonio investment firm purchased the 23-acre brewery site with extensive plans to create mixed-use development that would include restaurant, shop, and eventually a boutique hotel. The first tenant, the brewery's garage, was established in uh, 2006. Eventually, the River North expansion uh, came to be. Drives growth. And in 2009, it even got a farmer's market, and brewery. the brewery also became a hotel at some point. It had uh, it became uh, a brewery again in 2015, and uh, yeah, it, it's just a fascinating history. I could go on for a while here. I've got like a ton that I'm reading here. I'm reading like this big-ass article here. Yeah, the, the Pearl, I mean, development down there is such a cool area. Yeah. Um, and you know anybody that's never been to the Pearl, or uh, even if you don't live in San Antonio, it's worth the trip um, because it's such a unique place. Uh, we we go down there probably two three times a year just to hang out, eat at the restaurants. The farmers market is fantastic, but I love mm-hmm. the history. I really do. Um, and you touched on it just for a minute. The Pearl is unique because. Um, Otto Kohler, Kohler, I don't know how you say his last name. Oh, uh, God, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, he actually ran the business until he died, and his wife, Emma, took over the business. She was um, basically, at the time, the only female CEO of a beer company in the United States. Now, she, that I did not read. Yeah. Yep, she ran it through... Uh, prohibition and then back into starting up the beer company again after prohibition and so that's actually why the hotel down there is named hotel emma after yeah. her Makes it's sense. a beautiful hotel i mean it, i've been in that really hotel is. i've it's, been in that hotel i've delivered directly, flowers to that hotel <laughs> it's directly connected to the southerly brewery which is the brewery that is there now and and seth you're absolutely right that the the pearl is just it's it's a beautiful area now they've done it so well uh oh, yeah. a, a lot of condo apartment living you know uh culinary schools um there's another uh at my school we do a, a program called the chef program where it teaches students how to eat healthy uh on budgets and things like that and their headquarters is is right there in the pearl you know and uh Lots of lots of new eateries and things like that. The grain, I think it's called the Granary. Um, haven't been there yet, but uh, uh, La Gloria is there. And it's uh-huh. it's it's just a lot of fun. 
It is. It really is. It a is a nice area. It is a nice area. Oh. Like it got revitalized, and it's just it's a great area to visit and hang out. Mm-hmm. And hey, if you're thinking about visit, visiting San Antonio, come in, stay at Hotel Emma. You get a little piece of the Pearl Brewing Company's history, like right in the building. You can walk by some of the old brewing equipment that's still, you know, either being turned into something different, like a place to sit or just a decoration. It's a really cool building to walk through, to stay in. It's got so much history. I mean, you can literally just feel the history as you walk through the place Uh and eat at all the great restaurants. You know, and have a beer right there. I mean, right where they made beer before, and they're making beer again. So, now they did something similar down here close to me with the quarry, where they turned it into like a revitalized district, and they kept a lot of the old equipment there. Mm. Yeah. You know, in uh, Southerly, the brewery that is now at the Pearl, they've actually expanded. I just found this out maybe a month ago that uh, Southerly has a restaurant at the rim. Uh, up by 10 yes. and it's it's completely different than the the one there like they southerly will brew the a certain batch downtown at the pearl but only uh the one at the rim will feature it yeah interesting so i have to unfortunately throw southerly under the bus a little bit while we're <laughs> on the subject <laughs> Oh, God. So I've eaten <laughs> I've eaten at Southerly um, down at the Pearl twice, and I've gotten food poisoning from the Southerly down at the Pearl twice. Ooh. <laughs> That's no so now I have to throw them under the bus for that one. That's, uh, I love Southerly. I love so uh, the one at the Rim is called Southerly Hot South, and it is by far my favorite restaurant at the Rim. Um, if you've never been, you definitely need to go. It's fantastic. They have fantastic food. It's a little, um, it's it's a lot different than the Southerly down at the Pearl. It's more like a kind of a fast foody type feel. You walk in, you order some food, comes out to your table super quick. They do a lot of like fried chicken sandwiches and stuff like that. And it's definitely worth the trip. So we eat there all the time, and I, I had never been to the Southerly down at the Pearl, and so we went with my father-in-law, and I ended up getting food poisoning. And then I went for my anniversary, and I ended up getting food poisoning. Damn, that's got to suck. <laughs> <laughs> so the anniversary one's really got to suck. Yep, that was, so that was not fun. So, But I will say I do still like um, Southerly. I think they're a good restaurant. I will just stay away from the one at the Pearl. Fair enough. All right, Sean, you uh, wanted to talk a little bit about homebrewing, correct? Yeah, so I homebrew myself. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to do it over the last several years just because having two kids running around and having time to brew doesn't really work out, at least for okay. us. But um, we started homebrewing soon after we got married, and uh, it just kind of opened my eyes to like what beer really is. There's a lot of science involved. It's a lot of fun. Um, some people get real serious into it, and other people will go to a, a home brew a home brew place, and they'll they'll um, just buy a little starter kit and go that route. And that's kind of what we did. We went to our local uh, homebrew place called Home Brew Party, and they offered classes on how to what what you need for the kit, what you need to uh, the malts and things like that. And we gave it a shot, and 
uh, our first beer was it was it was good. You know, it wasn't where we wanted it. We started with a, a Canadian ale, uh-huh. and uh, I actually have the first bottle right here. So wow. Um, we decided to keep the first bottle, the seventh bottle, and the twenty-first bottle because that's our favorite number. Those were our favorite numbers, and we were like, "Well, we have to keep the first bottle." So those beers have never been drank, and over time they've moved from a refrigerator, and sometimes they were on display, so they warmed up, and uh, more so recently they've been put back into a refrigerator. So we have no idea how these ones taste, but. Um, one of the things that I always found interesting was what Seth had said a little bit earlier in the show about these nutrients and things like that. Well, if you've ever drinking, if you've if you've ever drank a craft beer, a lot of times down here in the bottom, you'll see this cakey little uh, uh, film um, settled down there, and that's called yeast cake. And basically, it's a byproduct of the yeast eating the sugars that create the alcohol, and it settles toward the bottom. Well, these nutrients that he had talked about, that's actually your vitamin B12. Mm-hmm. So you can you can drink that as you're drinking your beer, and you're going to get a little bit of a, a vitamin B12 boost out of it. But we started real real simple. It's, it's like... Um, you know, at, at like Home Depot and Lowe's, they have those five-gallon buckets. Well, these are food-grade five-gallon buckets that you would use to ferment the beer in. You'd put this little um, uh, cap on the top, and you'd watch it, you would watch it bubble. And until it started bubbling, you weren't making any alcohol. And part of the byproduct also is this this air that gets released into this little tube, and it will bubble for several several days and as it stops that's a good chance for you to um, transfer your fermented beer into like the bottling section and that's kind of where this came right here so if you boil sugar and you add it to the beer it gets it gives it its carbonation like the way that it it, it kind of like settles and that's how you get a carbonated beer in the bottle, and that's how you would do it, uh, uh, homebrew style. You know, uh, what you'll see a lot of is um, them using like CO two capsules or things like that to pressurize the beer to get that um, uh, the, that carbonation in there, that fizz and bubble. Um, but we decided uh, about a year or two after starting homebrewing that we were going to do exactly what's in this picture. So on the left-hand side, you see those, they're basically huge stainless steel containers. And you mm-hmm. can even see the little uh, the little tubes on the top uh, sitting up there. That's kind of how you gauge your uh, fermentation process. And um, we bought a stainless steel fermenter that had a cooling system. And I had to make a water reservoir out of an igloo cooler so that it could cycle the water in and out because the important part is after your beer gets to a boil you have to chill it as quickly as possible and depending on what type of beer you're making you have to get it down to a certain temperature and uh, Seth had mentioned the Bach the Bach beer 
And uh, that's a great example of having to continuously cool your beer. So for my system, the way it works, that wouldn't even be enough to make it a Bach beer because after uh, during the fermentation process, you have to keep it cooler uh, to get a Bach style beer. And if that doesn't happen, then you kind of end up a little bit more towards, I think it's like a red ale, which is kind of where me and my wife um, uh, kind of dabble in is more the reds because it's a real middle of the road. It's very good to the palate. It's very clean tasting and stuff. And we've made anything from a 3% beer just starting to our best at an 11% beer. And uh, there's there's uh, softwares out there that will help you gauge where your levels are. Uh, a red ale has a certain level of things that it has to hit to be considered a red ale. Otherwise, you jump more into like a brown. And a lot of science goes into this. And we had talked early on about startup cost. And to get a home brew kit, just a basic home brew kit, kit, it's gonna cost you around like 40, 50 bucks. And then on top of that, having to buy the actual brewing kit that comes with a malted uh, liquid sugar. Um, it comes with the sugar that you need to make the carbonation, the bottle caps, uh, the yeast, the hops, which uh, most brewers will use pellet hops because they dissolve quickly. Uh, during the boil process Um, and what they don't tell you is there's other things you have to buy such as your bottles a typical five gallon batch is what is typical for home brewing Uh, you need about 50 bottles or so give or take it just depends on how much of that beer that you lose in the transfer Um, so what we ended up doing is we moved to a thing called a tap a draft and basically it's a plastic bottle that looks similar to this but it's a big tub right and that tub you would um you would lock in a co2 capsule you let it sit for about a day and you get fresh tap beer and that was the best beer we've ever made in our life but um when we decided to upgrade to a a stainless steel fermenter uh that ran us about five hundred dollars so we talked about that startup cost or the, the collecting cost, you know, uh, a setup like this is probably a few thousand dollars. You know, they have they have four stainless steel fermenters going. You can see that they all have other types of tubes and wirings that are going on so that you can connect it to a control panel where if you need to start your boil, click, you're moving, you know, when you need to uh, uh, release the... Um, the uh the beer into the fermenter you can do that and you can see like their their uh food grade sink um other types of uh containers and stuff and that's kind of what it takes like if you want to be a home brewer that is basically pro level meaning you can basically open your own brewery in your house then you know these are the types of things you need and if you ever decide to start home brewing I highly suggest these stainless stainless steel fermenters. Yes, the cost is uh, huge, but the best part of some of these is if you look on the two on the right, it looks like they kind of have like an in, like a, a cylindrical indention. Uh-huh. That is so 
once the beer has settled and that yeast cake is, starts uh, dropping down to the bottom of the containers, you know, you lose a lot of beer that way. These are designed so that it gets stuck in that in that cylindrical casing. Wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, and then about uh, uh, about to the top of that cylind- uh, uh, cylinder is a nozzle, and you just release the nozzle into whatever uh, bottles or tapadraff or a pony keg that you're using, and you get less of the yeast cake produced in the initial fermentation and more of the beer, meaning you're going to get more of a five gallon cut as opposed to maybe four and a quarter. And it, and it just gives a much cleaner beer, a, a much, um, much more beer out of it. So if you, if you decide to get hardcore into, um, home brewing, I highly suggest those. Another good resource is uh, there's a guy on YouTube called John Palmer. He teaches different ways how to um, how to brew and ferment beer, different styles. Uh, we like to use it's called like a three tier system, where um, we uh, transfer water through the grains and we let it keep cycling through so that all the sugars can be released for what's called the wort, which is the the unboiled beer. So he's a really good resource to check out. That's nice. awesome. Seth, you got any questions? Uh, actually, no. I mean, you, you were very thoroughly covered everything. Yeah, you yeah. were very. It's a little out of order, <laughs> but but it's all there. <laughs> uh, if the audience got any questions, we'll wait a second see if any pop up. And... You know, uh, I talked about the beer system uh, program. It's a guy named Brad Smith. He's huge in the home brewing industry, where he has his own podcast. Uh, I think he has a couple of books, um, but he created the system where you can look up recipes and you can you can tell it what grains you're using and what type of hops, and it'll kind of balance out everything for you so that you can make the best beer possible the first time around. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We that invested is. in it. It was like 20, 30 bucks. We used it ever since. Create your own recipes. Um, but we, we typically do what we call a pirate's red and, uh, it's just a, a red ale that, uh, that we like to brew. Cause that's what I liked. She liked a little bit more of the darker stuff, like the stouts and the porters and stuff. So we have another one, um, kind of in the bank to use for the future. We uh-huh. just never have gotten to it because we don't have the uh, system enough to do it. So. Well, Sean, you may have become my dad's new best friend. He's been wanting to get into home brewing for a while, but he doesn't know anything about it. It's super simple. If you're willing to learn, you know, you can get it in a 30 minute to hour lesson. And what's cool about Home Brew Party this is the only company I've ever dealt with. And uh, since then, I think they've moved over towards the airport here in San Antonio. But there was two locations, one on uh, Nacogdoches, basically uh, near Stevens, but on the other half of 1604, right? And um, another one on Bandera and call them up mid brewing. They're like, oh, you need to do this. Or did you look at that? And they'll tell you right on the spot, you know, and (laughs) that's customer service, you know, and, and that's what the, that's what the beer community is like, you know, it's, it's about a bunch of people who want to make great beer. You know, we talked about all these breweries breweries popping up it might be bad for another brewery's business if you don't do it that well but we all win 
because we get so many great beers other than these big chain beers that we all typically like to drink on a Saturday night party because we want to drink half of a 12 pack or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You have been a wealth of information, Sean. You know, maybe that's something in the future we could look into is doing a live uh, brewing process. That'd be awesome. never know. Rarities gets loaded live. (laughs) 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 Let's do it. Alright, so now it's time for our unboxing video. So I have behind me a figure that just came in uh, a couple of days ago, actually, but I just uh, wanted to save it for an unboxing video. But it was recommended that since it's a Warcraft figure, it might qualify as a rarity. So I said, what the heck? Why not? That's true. I mean, so, I feel like it's definitely a rarity. So let me uh, get this, uh, get my camera here set up here. So I'm going to have to uh, stop my camera here for a second and mute it. So if you all want to do a little bit of banter here. Well, that was a lot of information on the home brewing, Sean. Jeez. Yeah. You know, I've never been much of a science buff until I learned how to make beer. <laughs> because you, if 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 you ever wanted to even do like a nano brewery, you know that's it's a brewery that um, brews. I think it's less than five hundred kegs or so many gallons a year. Uh-huh. Um, you really have to do this white gloved laboratory uh, tests. Because, you know, at a homebrew level, if you make it and you give it to a friend, well, you know, it is what it is if it sucks. Yeah. But if, if, if someone like Shiner, you know, uh, Freetails, who massively produce these beers, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of legal and financial uh, troubles that could come from that. Yeah. You know, so uh, getting the enzymes just right, you know, getting the... Uh, the sugar's just right to get it, to get it where it needs to be. Then, you know, it's really important. But it's a lot of For fun. Sure. It's it, it's simple science. Yeah. Well, and I, what better way to learn science than making beer? I feel like that's the <laughs> right? best way to learn science. <laughs> <sighs> so. You said besides red, like what other styles of beer have you tried? Like, what's your, what's the wildest one you've tried? Um, there's a brewery called Rogue, uh-huh. and they do a, if I remember correctly, it's a farmhouse L, but basically it's an overly fermented beer, almost to the point of spoiling. Ooh. And then they bottle it. Uh-huh. It's actually one of the best beers I've ever had. I don't like real gamey beers in the sense of like uh, the different kinds of like uh, yeast that creates certain tastes. Uh-huh. But that was one of the best ones I've tasted. That's uh, really interesting. I've never heard anything like that. Yeah, it's. Um, I can't remember where they're at. You know, uh, ever since we've had kids, my my beer game has gone down. You know, it's more. <laughs> it's more like let's go to a restaurant that has craft beer instead oh, of yeah. like. Let's go to Big Hops, sit there and talk for three hours with the bartender about good craft beer and where it's coming from and how it's made and things like that. Yeah. You know, um, I've even taken it to places where people are like, I would buy this. And the, the, the point of us doing the home brewing was that we were going to make our own brewery. 
But when we got to the point of like, hey, we might want to uh, look into this a little further, we started learning like the bonds, the city bonds, the state bonds, the, the startup money just to do some of this stuff. Like you need probably close to a million dollars to do a good setup. Yeah. You know, to be able to brew enough and compete hard enough with some of these companies to actually get your beers out there, uh-huh. you know? Well, that's quite, and that's quite the startup cost. I mean, I guess that's yeah. why you see so many like of these craft breweries being not just like one family or a couple individuals, but like being such a group effort, mm-hmm. uh, probably just for capital alone. And the fact that, you know, I'm sure it's a ton of work when you get over a certain level anyway. So, right. Well, and if you make a, if you make a good beer, my argument is, you know, it's recession proof. Uh-huh. It's not. It's uh, it's when things are going, everything's great, you know, because you're gonna you're gonna drink because you're happy and you want to party and things are going good and family and friends and things like that. And then you're gonna drink when you're depressed, you know, when oh, yeah. someone passed, you know, maybe you're losing something, maybe you're losing your home, you know. I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of where a lot of I would say Americans kind of turn sometimes Uh is to the alcohol and stuff. And I mean, you know, these companies are making off of uh, making money off of us because we're depressed or because we're partying or we have a family get together, you know, things like that, you know? So, I mean, it is what it is. So, I mean, you're kind of providing a service. Yeah, well, that's very true. Well, I know that, uh, like, for example, during COVID, when everybody was kind of stuck in their homes, like, alcohol sales went through the roof mm-hmm. just because, like, what do we have better to do? <laughs> <laughs> Thank just you, Just making funny hands up real finish up. <laughs> I, want to make, I want to do a sound check real quick. Can you all hear me all right from this distance? Yeah, yes. good. Cool. All right, sorry to interrupt here, but we're... Uh, we're going to get to the unboxing now, but, so this is Orgrim Doomhammer. For those of you who have watched the Warcraft movie, you kind of know he's the dick who betrayed who betrayed uh, one side, then betrayed that side, and wound up with nobody. That is one gripe I have about the Warcraft movie, though, is it changed a lot of his lore, and it changed a lot of lore for the characters, but this is the Warcraft movie version. So, this is what he looks like unboxed here. Let me see if I can get the camera here. So, by all means, let's get started. So, Sean, have you played World of Warcraft? You know, it's it's uh, it's one one game I never was able to get into. Um, I, time investment or. Uh, time, money, I've never really had a, a computer that would run the program the way, the way it probably should be ran. Things like that, you know. Um, uh, even back in, like, high school, I had friends who played, but, you know, I was doing sports. I was gone every other night, you know, to games and things like that. So, you know, weekends were were work. And then the school day was games and practices and things like that. So... Back I never... in the day was the time to replay it, though, because that thing could run on an iPhone back in the day. <laughs> so, but, okay, generally, 
what what's the game about? You know, because I, I I have a gist of it, but I've never actually played or watched that somebody play. Is a loaded question if I've ever heard one. The short version, and this is the ultra short version here, is. You had these orcs from another world called that were the part of the Horde faction. Um, that basically their world had gotten ravaged by this magic called the Fell, and they decided to use this mat. They were manipulated by this guy called Gul'dan to use the Fell to invade this other world called Azeroth, where the Alliance uh, races pres- presided. Hold on. My only experience with uh, Warcraft is the movie. Oh, I'm so sorry, Danny Lee. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but long story short, the the Horde comes in, says, hey, we need a new home. Alliance says no. War ensues. And, of course, orcs being orcs, when they're told no, they don't take it that well. So war ensues. And there's been, like, gosh, like, oh, my God. I think we're on, like, the fifth or sixth war in Warcraft at this point. And so they've had multiple wars. Ultimately, the orc settled a piece of turf in the Warcraft uh, in Azeroth. And then different things happen. Different villains come into play. Like, you know, you have the Lich King. You have eventually the Burning Legion came into the picture, which is just an army of demons. I mean, it's such a lore-heavy game. It's it's hard to answer that question in, like, uh, a few minutes. <laughs> my my biggest experience with World of Warcraft is South Park. Oh, God. Everybody's <laughs> seen that episode, dude. That is a killer episode. Oh, my gosh. Stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, one thing that Warcraft... Did, Blizzard did is they made the Warcraft movie to try and get more fans excited about like you know the old RTSs because or Warcraft originally was a strategy game. They made three of them with several expansions before they actually made World of Warcraft. So going into World of Warcraft, there's already a lot of established lore, you know, and so it really is uh, a very hey, war centric thing. And hey, one of the thing, go ahead. Um, Dylan wants to know how long have you been playing? So I I came into Warcraft during the expansion called the Warlords of Drainer, so I actually missed most of the good good stuff. Um, I actually had to go back and replay all that, much to my dismay. But uh, I came in during Warlords of Drainer. I've been playing ever since. And what if you were to put like a, a year to date? What what is how long has that been? It's probably been about since 2014, I would say. I, it's hard to say. It's all blended together so bad. Um, maybe 2015. Okay. So I remember cool. I started in the Drainer beta. So, or not the beta, the um, what's it called, the the open beta or whatever that whatever it was that came out right before they uh they launched Drainer. So, I would remember I was playing on the UK servers, actually, because at the time, my friend, Re- uh, Mikey Couric, who is uh, a good friend of mine in, over in Britain, was trying to convince me to come over, and we had a hell of a time trying to figure out how to get me on the UK servers. So, I actually, for my first few years of Warcraft, I actually was playing on Britain time. Sweet. That's so, awesome. But this character, Oregon Doomhammer... 
they in the movie they changed his lore quite a bit. So he originally was a good friend of the one of the chieftains of the Orc clans called the Frostwolves. He was a good friend of the chieftain Duratan. In the movie, they make him come out like he betrayed everybody, and then changed his mind, and then said, "Oh, I'm actually on Duratan's side, and I'm gonna protect Duratan," and then wound up with nobody. But it was just. It didn't go down like that in the games. It was completely different. Um, he was actually the war chief for a while in the games. So the war chief is the leader of the horde. And this box is not wanting to open for some stupid reason. So I apologize in advance here while I stumble along. It'll be the most epic unboxing ever. Oh yeah, there she goes. <laughs> right most say, epic un unboxing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, you gotta get another cut in. <laughs> so, yeah, they really, uh, really did, uh, really kind of a number on this guy's character, because originally he was not quite in the same ballpark as Duratan, but he still didn't betray him or anything like that, and he eventually helped Duratan's son and eventually made him war chief. So, um, but here, let me see if I can get this open here. So we've got, there's the statue in there. Let's get her un, un, uh, unwrapped. Let's take a look here. Uh, guessing this is the base, and I would be correct. So let's put this over here. So, but yeah, um, one thing about World of Warcraft is, again, like I said, I missed its height. Um, the height was definitely, wow. Okay, hold that thought. Look at that. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot smaller than I thought it'd be. That's what she That's... said. <laughs> ah, I was going to say it. <laughs> Beat you to it, Seth. He's got his shoulder pad here that's got to go in, and I'm assuming this beast belongs, this belongs to this horned creature here. Yes, that would be correct. That's, oh, that's magnetic. Hey, Raynor, can yeah, you get up? your screen to just focus on the statue? Maybe take off the slides? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, figure this out here. Uh, I'm not, there we go. Uh, there we go. So, so that's magnetic, that horn. That was a surprise. Well, that's cool. And then we've got, this is also magnetic. You got that little magnet in there. So I'm assuming that's a magnet. I'll find out in just a second. Yeah, that's a magnet. And there we are, Orgrim Doomhammer. So, one of the things that's interesting about this character, though, is Thrall, who becomes a major player in the world of Warcraft, uh, wields this guy's hammer. So this was the Doom Hammer. And to go into that lore will take for fucking ever, so I'm not going to do it. But, um, yeah, suffice it to say, it's a legendary weapon. If you want to look at the history 
of Warcraft, starting with a character like Thrall and the Doomhammer. Excellent way to go. But, yeah, that is that. What do you all think of this thing? I think it's... He's not quite going into the skull the way there she goes. Yeah, what do you all think of that? That looks awesome. does look cool. Don't know anything about the character, I'll be honest, but it looks cool. <laughs> it does look cool. <laughs> I'm going to set him over here for now. Got to dust him off later. He's got a bunch of that, bunch of that styrofoam shit on him. Alright, so let's get this back to here. And um, let me get my camera set back up, so I'll be just a moment. I feel like we could have gotten more history on Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what type of games have you played that are similar to War Warcraft? I uh, think... I go ahead. I don't know if I've really... I'm not really that big into, like, that style of gaming, so... Mm -hmm. Mostly a first-person shooter type, you know? Yeah. So. so, the style of gaming is called MMORPG. Yeah. And uh, Memorphiger mm -hmm. is what they're called. I mean, I'm not going to say oh, Sorry to cut right in. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I could sit here and go for for a while about Warcraft, but it's... You ever seen that video of that guy with the, with the weird-ass bulletin board full of all the connecting lines going... That's basically me when I talk about World of Warcraft. So, <laughs> so we're we going to be here for 10 hours if you get me started. Yeah. And unfortunately, we do not have that kind of time. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, MMOs, I have played a ton of MMOs over the years. I've played EVE Online, I've played Star Wars The Old Republic, played Lord of the Rings Online, Warcraft. Um, you know, I think uh, Star played. Wars The Old Republic was the first, the first one I actually wanted to attempt to play. Just never did because we never had a computer that would run it. Thank yourself that you did, but hate yourself because you didn't get the experience. It's a very mixed feeling game for me. It's got a. Uh, it had one of the biggest build up hypes. They uh, they hyped it up as the WoW killer, and then it just fell flat on its face uh, out of the first year. It took a while for it to get going, but by that point, it was too late. They had lost too many people. It's mm -hmm. a shame. Yeah. So often the way those games go, though, is they're hyped it up to be the Warcraft killer because a bunch of people say, I want to play, I want to, you know, a bunch of people are going to say, this is going to be the game that beats Warcraft. Warcraft's been around for over 15 years. There's no way anything's taking it down but itself. As Eddie Mendez says, I only know Leroy Jenkins. Believe it or not, he's actually a dead NPC in that dungeon now. That video became so famous that Blizzard actually patched him into that dungeon, and there's an achievement you can get called the Jenkins if you replicate what he did. <laughs> Which is basically everything go horribly wrong. <laughs> God, I remember that video. Not like I was like, hold on, what is he talking about? But that's is that the one where he just goes and like they're all kind of like talking in a group, and then he yeah, goes, they're all I'm they're going all formulating for a plan, yeah. then he just goes. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. I say dungeon. I think it was a raid. Actually, I don't remember. I, I would like to say I admit, I wasn't around for that one. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> oh my god, that's still, I mean, th- th- that video is hilarious, man. They're, they're all going hardcore, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, guys, let's do this. And he just shouts and runs in. <laughs> now, fun fact about that video, I actually did a ton of research about this. So that was an actual event that they don't, didn't record. So they actually restaged the event. So some of the, the actual event was a little bit different. But they said this was so funny. We have to make a YouTube video about this, and so, or not a YouTube, but a, you know, an internet video about this. And so they 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 staged the event. So the actual Leroy video is staged, but that's pretty much supposedly how it went down. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Well. I think it's going to be that time where we have to say goodbye to Sean because yeah, we are at our third sponsor tag. So I'll see you all next time. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll see you next time, Sean. And thank you so much for being here. You have been a massive wealth of information. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, whenever y'all need me back, just let me know, especially if it's about beer or brewing beer. Well, we'll definitely let you know. Now, how, what are your feelings about? Uh, well, we'll talk about that later. I was going to say wine, but other stuff. We'll talk about that later. So. You know, it's not far off. You know, uh, the, the the process and stuff. Um, one of the guys I used to work with at the shop, he now works at one of the wineries up in Fredericksburg, Texas, and oh, stuff. Really? And he'll come down, yeah. And it's it's not far off. The process is a little bit different, but you know, all of it from making whiskey to beer. You know, the the idea is the way it's fermented and and what alcohols what flavors what you know just things you're trying to pull out of the the fruits or the barleys uh the grains all that kind of stuff so awesome well we'll definitely have you back if we uh if we talk about that yep well thank you thank you so much and uh see you next time y'all see you next time all right, we need to thank our sponsor, Watto Scrapyard, again for sponsoring this video. Again, you know, nothing we can't say that's bad about the guy. I have got a ton of work done with him. I continue to do a ton of work with him, and just amazing head sculpts all around. He can make anything you want, Star Wars head sculpt wise. If he doesn't have it in his inventory, he will make it for you for a reasonable fee, and he can also replace your vehicle parts. What a guy! What do you think, Seth? Definitely, I, I feel like uh, I feel like I need to get my own head sculpt too. I think that'd be cool. It's a good I'm idea. I'm debating whether or not to do it, but then I'd be do something stupid like put them on a Jar Jar head, and you know that would just be <laughs> hilariously wrong. <laughs> it would be funny though. Okay, here we go. Disclaimer: Adult content. Don't watch if you're a squeaker. We're getting into it, guys. Here we. go. The following program is rated TVMAL. It contains strong language and is intended only for mature audiences. Viewer discretion advised. So if you stuck around towards the very end here, you are a saint. Because now, well, you're not going to be a saint for much longer, let's put it that way. Now we're (laughs) going to be covering adult magazines. And this segment's going to be a little brief, mostly because it took me to some dark places on the internet that I'd rather not visit. <laughs> As we were covering earlier, uh, incognito mode ain't going to be enough. You need some kind of monster VPN for this crap. So <laughs> let's uh, let's dive right into it. So we're going to be covering two magazines today. 
Playboy and Penthouse. I'm going to be talking about the little bit of the differences between them. They're universally some of the most well-known. And as always in the comments here, I want to keep it mature. We're happy to joke with you guys, but, you know, we just got to keep it a little bit mature here. So, yeah. And then good. that happens. <laughs> <laughs> So these are two examples of the covers of these magazines. Obviously, you've got, uh, for those of you familiar with Battlestar Galactica, you've got Cylon number six there on the Playboy cover. Uh, you have Penthouse magazine on the right. Um, that I think that cover girl might be Brie Olson. I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry I didn't crack it open to find out. <laughs> Come on now. He said... <laughs> Danny Lee says, move those black squares. Black squares are necessary, my man. I'm sorry. We got rules we got to follow now. To be fair, so. I had a nice edit with some stars that looked really, really good. It did. It did. But we're trying to be a little bit more professional than we normally <laughs> are. So <laughs> we got our giggles out of the way early on this one. I feel like the black squares almost make it look worse, though. Um, Boogie Manny says, are the pages sticky? Uh, we're going to cover more about that later, but uh, no, not these particular ones. I would guess. I don't know. <laughs> little <laughs> Freudian slip there. Alright. Um, so, so before we cover where to buy, let's cover the differences between these two magazines. So everybody knows Playboy. Everybody knows Playboy. Uh, Danny Lee says, tasteful stars. I like Seth's approach. <laughs> they were pretty tasteful. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> All right, so everybody knows Playboy, history of Playboy, but Playboy's always been more softcore, i.e., you know, nothing too out there. Nothing too out there. Nothing crazy. Just yeah. you know, the here I am. You know, yep. That's all we can all we can really say on the matter. I'm having to watch my mouth get. <laughs> this is hard. Yep, bearing <laughs> bearing myself and all of my gifts. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Penthouse is obviously a little bit more risque, a little bit more hardcore. It's um, let's just say more than just the regular stuff is visible. That are more, uh, shall we say, tasteful shots in Playboy than there yes. are in Penthouse. <laughs> There's more poses in Penthouse. I am blushing, Manny. You have no idea how hard <laughs> this is for me. <laughs> oh my god. So, I, um. It was okay. I, there's so many jokes here, but I'm not gonna there go there. There's so many. <laughs> If y'all need to stand, don't forget to turn, <laughs> turn your camera off. That is very true. That's that true. is very true. All right, I'm going to get this off the screen. <laughs> hey, that's hard. All right, try to keep it mature, guys. Try to keep it mature. Right, I'm going to get this off the screen before yeah. we, we have a, a few months of an instance. A um, situation. <laughs> God, dang it, Seth. <laughs> All right, where to buy these web? <laughs> oh. 
There are multiple websites dedicated to adult magazine collecting. The number I found was actually shocking, ranging from Playboy to Victorian era art. Believe it or not, there's Victorian era nudie art out there. That is a whole bracket. <laughs> yes. Yes, Manny, Rainer, I am losing it. <laughs> Rainer is losing it. Conventional sites like eBay, Amazon or eBay, if you don't mind used. Um, I'm going to be honest. Place. If I was collecting, I'm not picking up a used one. I'm just, I'm not doing it. <laughs> not doing it. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a difference between used and loved. Like, lightly read, okay, but, you know, loved, mm, that's where you get into a sticky situation. <laughs> So their entire Facebook group opening. There are entire Facebook groups dedicated to trading and selling of these things. Again, I did not join these groups. I did not want to be a part of that. Just no, I'm sorry. There are only so many hits I'm willing to take for the channel. (laughs) He he lightly perused the Facebook. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, something like that. I can see where these would be really collectible, though, honestly, if you think about it. Because, you know, there's always those, like, those actresses you're going to be like, oh, yeah, like, well, like the, she's like this... nice to look at. So if she's on the cover of Playboy or in Playboy. Well, like, know... Tricia Helfer here, I presume, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. She was in Battlestar Galactica. She was a big star in Battlestar Galactica. And she has teased you so many times in the show, but you never actually get to see her in all her glory. So why not buy a best show of Playboy where you can see her in all her glory? I mean, you're <laughs> just being dirty. Come on. If I, I have only read Playboy for the articles. Oh, of course, man. And a little bit of history about Playboy. They actually took that approach. They said, hey, let's stop putting uh, women in our uh, magazines and just write articles. They reverted was... like two months later. Yeah, that was pretty recent. <laughs> I remember that one. And it went over so well. <laughs> I posed for Mexican Boy once. They pay me... Dude, pay me in burritos. Okay. I'm sorry, I clicked on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, moving on. So, um, you have... All these sites where you can buy used, you can obviously buy from places like flea markets and stuff. Like, who hasn't been to a flea market and seen that creepy guy in the corner selling Playboys? <laughs> and you don't want to buy for him, buy from him because you know he's creepy, and those are not the type you're going to collect. <laughs> no, I actually went to an antique mall of all places once and found a Playboy of. The year and month that I was born. And I was like, huh, this will be interesting. I bought it. I never read it, but I bought it because I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Just have this for for keepsake. It was from the 90s, and I just don't want to deal with that much hair. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm wearing Everyday Collector's Black Glove. Raiders face that face is pure nightmare fuel. I believe it. <laughs> I still need a Vita Guru Playboy. I'm who was that? Who who is that? I'm not sure who that is. I mean no, there's so I'm many issues out there right now. So what we're so I mean honestly didn't do too much research because I can't explain that one to my wife. Um, but 
What were some of the prices on more collectible uh, magazines? They range from anywhere to a couple of you can you can get your hands on a Playboy from anywhere from a dollar to like a hundred dollars, and then of course you've got the the Chase, which is Marilyn Monroe, which is the number one. But yeah, that's in a whole nother league. Can I just say there was another joke there that I totally did not take advantage of. So. <laughs> Dear I'm God. keeping it as PG-13 as possible. This is not <laughs> happening. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Maestro is a man of class. Alright, I believe you. I have a calendar of Vita. She's a classic for sure. Alright. We're moving on because otherwise we're going to get bogged down in the jokes here, people. <laughs> so many So jokes. the aftermarket, there, as we said, there's a heavily used aftermarket for these things. And pretty much any magazine you run across that's not, that's not uh, sealed in plastic is going to be red. And you're probably going to be dealing with, well, let's just leave it at that. But there's a lot of resale in these things, because to be honest, who doesn't want adult magazines? There's always going to be a market for them, because human nature doesn't die out. So the the resale on these things is crazy. Even if you only get a couple of bucks, you will definitely, if you wait long enough, it'll sell. That's true. Well, let's be honest. I mean, they're not all that outrageously expensive to begin with, so I would imagine if you were to pick up, you know, a... Uh a copy with maybe an actress that has never done Playboy or like this will be like I mean is like a you know a really big name once you purchase it for a couple bucks and wait you know yeah. you're probably going to be waiting a while but let's be honest but you know you wait a while and it's going to be yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be worth money later on you know so I uh, actually have a collectible Star Wars Playboy um not gonna lie, I've slightly read it, but it's a. Uh, there was an actress in episode two who had a played a senator, and she posed for Playboy right after. And George Lucas said, "Oh no, I'm having none of that," and cut her part entirely. And so that magazine's now collectible. I can imagine, and it's good to know that he, uh, not into that kind of thing, I guess. <laughs> Manny, you, you, man of culture, you. True story, I once used my uncle's laptop to go to playboy.com, but he ended up coming back quickly, so I don't have time to clear the cl close and clear the history. So awkward. That's what incognito for mode is for, Manty. Manty. Manny. Manty. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Manty. That's what I'll keep going to... This has been a complete derailment. <laughs> I mean, we were going so strong. We were doing so well. <laughs> I'm not going to read that one. <laughs> What's the issue with the Star Wars? Uh, I will send you a picture of it later, Danny, if you really want to know. I will dig it out and I'll send it to you. You don't want pictures of it. <laughs> it's like, dang, what's all this dust on there? Uh, yeah, <laughs> dust. Right. <laughs> Since this has been a complete derailment, I'm going to end with this. The bottom line is, 
There is a whole seedy underbelly of people who trade and collect these playboys. They don't care if they're used. They don't maybe care if they're loved, but they won't care if they're used. But there's always a market for it, and the rarity in this is a lot bigger than you might think. All right, Seth, go. I can't speak, so you're going to do this one. <laughs> oh, God, include a sandal pick, please. Really, Danny Lee? Can can we do that as a uh, uh, a Patreon benefit? You get a sandal pick. <laughs> While we're at it, I would like to thank all of our Patreons: Ben Porter, Sean Fury, and CB, Renee Mendez, Eric Mariscal, Quinn Aguiar. Ag- Aguiar, I can't say it. <laughs> Aguire. Aguire. <laughs> Sorry. This has been a complete derailment. I'm sorry, people. This, this was not. This was. This was jokes a bad idea. too good. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, really, back to work. Lemur Hernandez. God damn it! All right, King Louie, Mark Pearson, Paul Schreiber, Paul Schreiber. Hold Colley. on, hold on. I got it. James <laughs> Colley, Dan Lee, Deanie Martin, Stephen Crett, Big Fern, King Zachary. Cesar Maroquin, Mike Cruz, Lisa Martin Baminski, Rick D. Gregorio, Alvin Jules, the Everyday Collector, Ricardo Valdez, Bo Laboyd, Jimmy James, Mario Cortez, Stephen Pershaw, Sean Usby, Scott Bradley, Stephen Maria Stanley, Jesse Contreras, Lord Voldatort, Eddie Manzanares, Joe Corpus, and Mr. and Miss JB. Awesome. Okay, guys, we're almost through here. Oh, God, no, there's another one. All right, Patreon benefits. For $5 a month, you can get the Sweet Angel tier. Want Patreon exclusive flag from Collecting Weekly Network? You got it here. $5 a month includes stickers sent straight to your door, as well as access to the Aux After Dark replay. Great times on Ox After Dark. I wish I could come. Dang it! I wish I could. I could come on there more, but uh, you know, it just doesn't work out with my schedule these days. Uh, certified at crisp. The, at ahead. the Sweet Angel tier, you might get a sandal pick. Just maybe. We'll, we'll talk about that later. All right. Certified crispy. This includes certified crispy certificate on first pledge. Assistance with the figure fixes by Zach. Message him beforehand, just make sure it's actually doable, because some things are beyond repair. Um, and uh, all the benefits of the previous tier, international postage will be charged at cost for the certificates. The Wada Guy, $25 a month. Wada Guy, folks, in the tier, this is you get a signed Collecting Weekly Live 18 by 24 silhouette poster. I've actually seen these in first hand. They're really nice. They are. And uh, on first pledge, doubles of all the stickers we send, one sculpt a year, painted by Darkside Customs, Ian over at OFAC, just great work, amazing, amazing work. I have a few pieces in my collection that he's done, and I love them. Um, and that's after three months, folks. All the benefits of the previous tiers, international coaching will be charged at cost for the poster, excuse me, for the posters, or free printable file can be sent. July Patreon benefits. The clip sticker, the 1,000 subscriber sticker. We have made it to 1,000 subscribers, folks. Don't. 
Don't ask me why with episodes like this, but we've done it. It's we did been really amazing. Good. But in all seriousness, no, we've uh, we, we we everyone on the podcast has done an amazing job, and I can't I can't be happier to be a part of this network. And I just love the the times we've had the. Uh, the fun times we've had, the relationships we've built, and hopefully this keeps on going, keeps on growing, and just uh, hopefully, unless Talksweather himself kicks us off. Yeah, I know. We're, we're trying to make it to ten. We're, we're gonna make it to ten and bring a collective sigh of relief. But <laughs> Mount Mount Collectmore Magnet that includes the founding fathers, Dean, Zachary, myself, and Manny. So yeah, that is our July Patreon benefits. Check out the different shows. We got Small Talk, uh, Collecting Weekly Live, the main baddies of the bunch there. Dean and Zachary, they always put on a great show. OFAC, uh, Pete and Ian, um, great, great podcast. They broadcast on British time, so you can catch them in the middle of the day. So if you're still in that quarantine blues and looking for a good show, that's awesome. Collecting Rarities, represent one love. Um, we are doing our best to keep professional. We failed, I think, at the end of this one, but you know, we're we're we're, we're finding our own, and I believe if you stick with us, you if nothing else would get a good laugh. So that's true. In and Out's collecting Mario, great uh, great show. We got CW clips. We got uh, collecting weekly live unboxings, like we did just now. Um, although we usually get two or three guys together and just do an unboxing and that's basically it but hey it's you can get to see some great figure unboxings some great statue unboxings with more stuff that's not considered an oddity or a rarity you got after dark amazing content there that's where we really cut loose let her hair down have some fun uh maybe get a little tipsy more on that later <laughs> <laughs> and then ox plays we've got zachary playing uh what was it he's playing his flight simulators recently right yep so yeah, we basically join us for any time we feel want like streaming a game we're playing. Uh, I need to get some Warcraft time up there on some point, but I have That'd to get a proper awesome. stream set up for that because that requires some gear that I do not have. Collecting Weekly Auxiliary is our Facebook group. Check us out. You can chat with us. Go on rants. Um, tell me how bad I'm doing running the show. I'll, I'll get a good laugh out of it. It's all good. So you know, just. Join the Facebook group and be part of the community because it's been a growing community and it's um, an amazing community. We always have each other's back here. So I highly recommend if you're not a member of Auxiliary, you check that out on Facebook. Final thoughts, Seth? <sighs> I apologize for all the jokes that were made. <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> we was... need to catch up on some of the chat here because we, uh, we had some hilarious stuff come through. He wants to um, more confirmed. What? Wants TOC uh, more confirmed. Sandal stickers. Yes, we can do sandal stickers. I can do I think, the Jesus I feel like, sandals. I feel like we do need a sandal sticker. We we'll, we'll talk to Manny, see, or Danny, or either one of them. Really, we'll see if we can mock something. Manny, up, make it happen. Manny, come on. Manny, free Doctor Trapper Shake with the Water Guy tier. Please. So, I love a Dr. Pepper shake. Dr. Pepper shake's freaking awesome. Alright, guys. So the final thing here is we are going to preview some of our swag here. Designed by Seth. Boom. It looks nice. I like it. 
Yeah, I was thinking about cutting out the the white there and just um, doing the doing the black and gold for the sticker, and maybe doing a little bit bolder so maybe it pops a little bit more. You know? We can make it happen. Let's yeah, see what we'll, I can we'll talk come up later. with. Yep. Well, until then, guys, stay rare, stay golden, and uh, stay away from those magazines, fellas. That's all I got to say. <laughs> we are out of here. We should stay away from that subject. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about covering um, the Japanese equivalent, but after this uh, episode, no. we're not touching that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> we'll give it, like, 10 more episodes, and then we'll see. Yeah, that. we're going to wait till we get a little bit more mature. <laughs> all right. Stay rare, stay going, everybody. We'll catch you all next time.